Hey guys, I have a podcast that I think you'll really enjoy. Proof, the investigative true crime podcast co-hosted by Susan Simpson of Undisclosed and Jacinda Davis of Evil Lives Here is releasing its highly anticipated second season where they investigate the murder of 18-year-old Renee Ramos. The first season, which if you haven't listened to yet, you totally should, saw the release of two Georgia men serving life sentences for murdering their friend, Brian Bowling. And thanks to evidence unearthed by proof, on December 8th, 2022, both Daryl Lee Clark and Kane Joshua Story were finally freed after 25 years behind bars. With that same investigative drive, Susan and Jacinda are on the case again, and this time, they are on the streets of Manteca, California, to find out who really killed Renee Ramos. In proof, murder at the warehouse, you hear how, on June 5th, 2000, Renee's body was found buried beneath a pile of debris inside a new Home Depot building. And how, despite tips hinting at alternate suspects, her boyfriend, 18-year-old Jake Silva, and 33-year-old Ty Lopez were arrested and convicted of her murder. Fans of true crime and investigative series won't want to miss this riveting new season. Follow the case as Susan and Jacinda uncover long-overlooked evidence about what really happened to Renee by listening to Proof, Murder at the Warehouse, wherever you get your podcasts. Rex Sherman is a demon that walks among us, a predator that ruined families. The Lisk, Long Island serial killer podcast, was shocked when the news broke of Rex Hewerman's arrest. After more than a decade of searching, law enforcement officials had finally pieced together enough evidence to bring formal charges against Rex Hewerman. Initially charged with three murders, Hewerman is now officially charged with all four deaths in the Gilgo 4 case. I'm your host, Chris Moss, and the Lisk podcast will be releasing new episodes with interviews and fresh insight on the case as Rex Hewerman awaits trial in Long Island. While we are relieved by the arrest, the List podcast team will be working hard to share new developments and perspectives as we get them. So please keep your eyes and ears out for new episodes. And if you haven't already, please listen to seasons one and two of Lisk, Long Island Serial Killer, wherever you listen to podcasts. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a... Weird homicide. The scene described by one investigator is reminiscent of a weird religious murder. Genetics has become such an important part of our criminal justice system. But before it was commonplace, there were landmark cases like that of J. Roland Cook and Tanya Van Kulenberg, who lost their lives on November 18, 1987. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Twenty-year-old Jay Roland Cook and 17-year-old Tanya Van Kulenberg had been dating for about six months when they decided to take a road trip from their home in Saanich, British Columbia, to the Seattle area. Jay had to pick up some parts for his father's business, so the high school sweethearts decided to make a little vacation of it. They left on November 18, 1987, in Jay's father's bronze 1977 Ford Club van and took the ferry from Victoria to Port Angeles, Washington. From there, they drove to Bremerton, down Route 101, and boarded a second ferry to Seattle. Everything seemed to be going well, until the couple failed to come home the next day. While many would assume they just extended their trip, both sets of parents worried when neither Jay nor Tanya called to give an update. In fact, Tanya was known to call even if she was going to be just minutes past curfew. 
So when she didn't call, they knew something was wrong, and the couple was reported missing on November 20th, 1987. Four days later, Tanya's half-naked body was found in a ditch near a rural road in Saget County, Washington. She had been raped, bound with plastic ties, and shot in the head. Immediately, police considered Jay as a suspect, but both his and Tanya's parents were adamant that he would never hurt Tanya. The next day, Tanya's wallet and keys were found near a Greyhound station in Bellingham and, a few blocks away, was Jay's father's van. Six days after they were reported missing, Jay Cook's body was found nearly 60 miles away from where Tanya was found. He had been beaten with rocks and strangled to death. The investigation into the couple's murder determined that they did make it to that second ferry, meaning that the killer likely met up with them in Seattle, either on the ferry itself or maybe a hitchhiker who they offered a ride to. That once in the car, the man tried to assault Tanya and Jay was simply killed for being in the way. They also believed the plastic gloves found in the van was the killer's way of taunting police. His way of saying, good luck finding any viable prints. However, they were able to obtain some of his DNA from the van, though there was no match within their database. Based on the method of killing, the care to wear gloves, and the other evidence from the three separate scenes, police were able to surmise that, whoever this killer was, that he spent time in the prison system and was familiar with police procedure. So they assumed that, due to the lack of DNA in the system, he more than likely spent time in prison prior to DNA extraction. One mistake he did make, though, was taking a few items from the couple. He took with him Jay's waist-length black ski jacket with red piping and Tanya's olive drab day pack and Minolta 35mm camera, one that had a documented serial number. Basically, he took things that would be very easy to identify. As the Christmas holidays approached, both Tanya and Jay's family began getting a series of disturbing greeting cards containing graphic details of the murder and an author claiming to be the killer. In total, nearly 20 separate cards were sent over several different holidays, postmarked from New York, Los Angeles, and Seattle. In 2010, nearly 23 years after the murders, it was announced that, while the crime remained unsolved, the writer of the cards had been identified as a 78-year-old Canadian transient with mental health issues and no connection to the crime. On April 11, 2018, a composite sketch was released based on the DNA collected from Tanya's pants using snapshot DNA phenotyping. Parabon Nanolabs, who by now many of you know, helped to investigate the crime based on the limited DNA they had and the help of GED Match. It led them to a woman named Chelsea Rustad and another undisclosed distant cousin on the other side of the family tree. The tree was traced back and eventually landed on a man named William Earl Talbot II. He was arrested on May 18, 2018 for the murder of Tanya Van Kulenberg. At the time of the murders, William's parents only lived seven miles from the bridge where Jay Cook was found. This case almost immediately became a landmark one for forensics. It was the first of its kind to officially be tried in a court of law, the first to use GED match to make it to court, and as of June 29, 2018, was the first of its kind to result in a guilty verdict. William Talbot was then sentenced to two life sentences and was moved to Washington State Penitentiary. 
Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on November 19th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe. Thank you for listening to Morning Cup of Murder. This daily true crime podcast can be found on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by searching Morning Cup of Murder. I'd love it if you stopped by and said hi. Stay safe.